Turn in your Bibles, if you will, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 8. In 1997, my wife had been homeschooling our daughters for five and a half years and decided she was just a bit burned out about it, a little tired of uh, twins, you know, uh, fourth grade going into fifth grade and uh, just uh, finding it difficult and decided, well, we'll put our daughters in a Christian school in the fifth grade. So we did that and uh, of course she, uh, she's an English teacher. She went to teaching English to help pay for their uh, tuition, of course. Well, it didn't take very long for her to figure out that it's a lot easier to teach fifth grade twin girls than over a hundred teenagers. <laughs> that didn't quite turn out the way that she intended for it to turn out. Have you ever asked God to do a certain thing maybe insisted that he do it, and he finally did it. He let you have your way, but it didn't turn out the way that you expected it to. Or maybe there was just something that you felt like you really had to have, that one possession. Maybe as a child it was a, a toy or something that all your friends had, and, Mom, Dad, I just got to have this. And you kept on and kept on, and finally they gave it to you, and you found out it just didn't quite satisfy the need. Israel had that problem. 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba, and his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. We see here Israel's demand. They were not content with the leadership that God had provided for them. They had never had a king. And all of a sudden, Samuel was old. His sons did not follow his steps. Notice their reasoning there that Samuel's old, that his sons were not serving the Lord. And notice their request for a king. Verse 5, make us a king. In other words, Samuel, you're, you're old. You're going to die. You're going to pass away. Your sons are not following the Lord. Give us a king. They were demanding a king, something they had never had that they thought would be good. And notice uh, there that Samuel's response. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. That's the thing to do. Pray. He did it correctly. You know, it displeased him. It hurt him because he had done everything he could to instruct them in God's way and to lead them properly. And he felt like it was a personal rejection of him. But notice what God said in verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, 
For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should reign over them. God said, Samuel, it's not about you, it's about me. Now that's serious. You know, it's one thing to reject a human leadership. It's another thing to reject God's leadership. That's serious. That's very serious. And then he continues in verse 8, According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto this day. God said, Samuel, they've been doing this since they left Egypt. Hundreds of years they've been doing this. They've rejected my leadership. This is nothing new, Samuel. It's not you. It's their rejection of me. That, that, just, that doesn't make sense when you think about it. Why would they reject God's leadership when all he did to get them out of Egypt? Can you imagine that? I mean, that just that blows your mind, kind of, you know? Look at all God did. And yet they rejected his leadership. Their reasoning, their request for a king, their rejection of God, their resolve... You see, God said in verse 9, Now therefore hearken unto their voice. God said, let them have it. They can have it. Howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. God said, Samuel, okay, obey their voice, but tell them the consequences. Tell them what it's going to be like, because they haven't thought about that. So Samuel did. He gave them the manner of the king, and we won't take time to read verses 10 to 18, but Samuel went into great detail telling them, you know, a king is going to take your sons and your daughters for soldiers, for servants, for confectionaries, for cooks, for farmers, for bakers. Prophets have never done that, but a king will. He tried to get them to see the ramifications of their decision, of their demand. But see, they didn't listen because in verse 19, after he went through all that, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us. Their resolve, their mandate, we will have, no matter the cost. They were determined, they were resolute. And notice their reason why. They said in verse 20 that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They said, Samuel, all these nations around us have a king. We want a king. Give us a king. I don't care about the cost. Give us a king. You see, they had a demand. Well, Samuel did what they asked, as God said. And moving on to chapter 9, they start introducing to us King Saul, the future king. And he says in verse 1, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, and the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he from his shoulders upward. He was higher than any of the people. 
his appearance. It says Saul was a goodly person. He was good looking. Now that would be attractive, wouldn't it? Uh, he's a good looking guy. We, we got to have him for a king. Won't we be so proud of our king? He looks so nice. He's bigger. He's taller than any of us. And he's a goodly person. But they were looking on the outside. That's a problem. We'll see that. You see, in verse, on, a, on the chapter, in verse 20, uh, Samuel actually tells Saul that he was the one who all the desire of Israel wanted. They were all focused on him. Why? Because they wanted a king. And because he was good looking. They said, that's the one we want. Notice over in chapter 10, just about a page over. In verse 1, Saul's qualifications. He appeared to be a good man, and he was anointed. In verse 1, then Samuel took, chapter 10, verse 1, then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? He anointed Saul as a king. Notice down in verse 6 of that chapter 10, Samuel was telling Saul what would become of him and he, after they departed from one another. And he told Saul, he said, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with him, and shalt be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs are coming to thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. More, quali more qualifications here. He was anointed. In verse 6, it says he was turned into another man. Sounds like God had a plan for him, doesn't it? I mean, he, God, God's able to turn the heart of the king, Scripture tells us. He was turned into another man. And then it tells in verse 7, he said, For God is with thee. He had God's presence with him. Don't you wish for a leader like that? Uh, and then it says that God gave him another heart in verse 9. Wow, he's ready to go, isn't he? This is looking good. Israel made a demand and God gave them somebody and gave them another heart and gave him, turned them into another person. And boy, this is looking good, isn't it? Well, let's continue. Notice that Saul was humble. You see, back in chapter 9 and verse 21, when Samuel first confronted him, Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? Saul, when, when Saul first heard that, Samuel first spoke to him. He said, Look, I, I'm the smallest tribe. I'm the least family. I have no royal heritage. And you want me to be the king? It didn't make sense. He was humble. And then over in chapter 10 and verse 22, when they were ready to anoint Saul, it says they couldn't find him. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further if the man should yet come hither. And the Lord answered, 
Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. <laughs> he was hiding. Now, wait a minute. If he's God's anointed, if he's God prepared, if God gave him another, why is he hiding? He was humble. He didn't really want it. He had loyal companions. And we're getting to more points here, so stick with me. Chapter 10 and verse 26. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. Another thing God gave him, a band of men. A band of men that God had touched to go with Saul. What more could he want? He's all set to rule. Well, he also had some opposition. Because in chapter 10, verse 27, it says, But the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. Another good quality. He, uh, he was restrained. You see, at this point, if he had spoken out against his critics, somebody would have probably taken off their head, wouldn't he? I mean, that's the way they defended their king and their royalty. He was, the, he was to be their king. All he had to do was say the word. But he held his peace. And then he held his vengeance in chapter 11, verse 13. After the battle... Some of them wanted to take his enemies that had spoken against him and despised him and slay them. And Paul and Saul, in chapter 11, verse 13, said that there shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. And he wouldn't let them do it. All that is good. Israel's demand, Saul's qualifications... They're set for a good reign for a king, aren't they? Well, after that, Saul faced a dilemma. He faced a situation that really tested him. Turn to chapter 13 over there. Let's read verses 8 to 14. This is where Saul was waiting for Samuel to come. And it says, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Uh-oh. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, 
and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. thee. Saul had a dilemma. Look at Saul's knowledge. Saul knew Samuel's words. We read back in chapter 10 and verse 8 that Samuel had told him to wait seven days. He waited seven days, and Samuel had not shown up. So he had a dilemma. Samuel, by the word of the Lord, had said, wait seven days. Seven days passed, and it didn't happen. What's he to do? He's got a dilemma. Was Samuel wrong? Did Samuel not give him the word of the Lord? What was he to do? Because he, set, he waited the set time. His, his knowledge also encompassed the people that were wandering. The people were scattered from him in chapter 13, verse 8. The people were departing from him. He was trying to solve the situation. Samuel had not shown up, and the people were being scattered. So what did he do? Well, in his dilemma, we saw his knowledge. Now his actions. You see, to solve his problem, he reasoned within himself. He said, I've got to figure this out. I've got to solve this. And in doing so, he assumed knowledge of the timing. He assumed that the Philistines were going to get there before Samuel did. How did he know that? He didn't know it. You see, when his human reasoning made him assume something that he did not know. Where did that lead? He assumed something he did not know. He understood circumstances apart from God. You see, he didn't go back to what Samuel said and say, he said to wait seven days, he said he would be here, therefore he'll be here. Instead, he relied on his own reasoning that he'd have to figure it out. You see, he understood the circumstances apart from what God had said. Solomon tried that. You remember Ecclesiastes? He looked at, God, he looked at the world, he looked at everything God had made and tried to make sense of what was happening in his world apart from God. And what was his conclusion? All is vanity. All is vanity. You can't do it apart from God. You can't figure it out. And Saul tried to. Saul applied, he applied human reasoning. Notice in the passage he said, I had not made supplication. He said he had not prayed. He hadn't gone to the Lord, right? He hadn't. Now why hadn't he? You see, you don't wait till the heat of the battle to go to prayer. Pray first. He should have already done that. In fact, you have to go all the way to chapter 14 and verse 35 where it tells you that that was the first altar that Saul had built. He waited that long to build an altar and to worship God. He applied human reasoning. He, he said he not made supplication. Then he said, you know, I must have misunderstood what Samuel said. In other words, he, he quite possibly was trying to 
reinterpret what Samuel said. Well, maybe he didn't really mean seven days. Maybe he meant... He tried to reinterpret God's word. Is that what's happening in our day? You see, the, the, he tried to make God's word fit. You see, when the scripture says that the word of God is quick and powerful, that word quick is living. But that living word just means that it's active, that it's alive. It doesn't mean that it's living in the sense that we talk about today when we say something is living, where it's, it changes with society or, it, or it's interpreted in light of what's happening in our world today. That's not the living word of God. It doesn't change. It's solid. What it meant when it was written, when it was inspired, is what it means today. Don't change it. Don't edit it. Don't try to make it fit. You see, he looked for ways around it. And the result of his human reasoning? He acted in a disobedience. He intruded into the priest's office that he had no business being in. He acted in disobedience. You say, why did it matter that, that he worshipped God in that way? God has every right to prescribe or state with authority how he is to be worshipped. And God said it's the Levites that offer offerings. And he prescribed very detailed instructions about how they were to do it. And therefore it was sin, a very serious sin, for Saul to intrude in the priest's office. Jesus told the woman at the well that they who, wor they who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth is the word of God. Much of what's being called worship today does not involve truth. It's not worship. If you worship God, you worship Him in spirit. In your spirit, not in your emotions. Emotions will happen. Emotions will be a part of it. But worship Him in spirit and in truth. Proverbs 3, 7. You know 5 and 6. Have you read 7? Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Saul was wise in his own eyes. You see, all of a sudden he said, I've got this. I can figure this out, you know. Apart from God, I, he must not have meant what he said. Well, after that, Saul rationalized his sin. Notice also in verse 11 there, chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 11. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed. He said, Samuel, it's your fault. You didn't come. You didn't show up when you said you would. If you'd shown up, I wouldn't have done this. Passing blame. Boy, we've heard that one before, haven't we? That started in the Garden of Eden. Way back there. He's still doing it. He said, it's your fault. Then, then, it, then he, he cloaked it in a concern for God's favor. He said, 
I have not made supplication unto the Lord. He said, I needed God's favor, Samuel. That's why I did it. Andrew Murray put it this way. What Saul was saying here. Quote, What? Go to war before I have said my prayers? Thus he covered his disobedience to God's command with a pretense of concern for God's favor. End quote. Samuel, I just needed God's favor. He rationalized his sin. He overrode his conscience. Notice he said, so, so I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering, as if the fact that he had to force himself justified him somehow. That, that I, I didn't really want to, Samuel, but, but I, I needed God's favor, so I, I forced myself. That didn't work. That didn't justify it either. He still disobeyed. None of that worked. He still disobeyed. He overrode his conscience. He reconciled his circumstances. In other words, he relied on himself to figure it out. We already talked about that. But you see, what what Saul did here was he took human reasoning and rationale and tried to make it fit into God's word. Wait a minute. That's not the purpose of God's word. We don't take our human reasoning and try to fit it into God's word. That's what some of the evolutionists are trying to do. Make it fit. You know, I I accept this, I believe it, therefore it's got to fit in here somewhere. No. No. That's the reverse. We take God's word and we apply it to our circumstances. Other way around. You see, you look at your circumstances and you say, I I don't understand how all this is going to work, but that's what God said, and however he's going to do it, it's going to happen. It will happen. Because God said it. It will happen. He walked by sight, not by faith. Brother Daniel's been preaching, Hebrews 11, remember that? Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the evidence of things not seen. You see, you can't take what you see and exercise faith. It's the evidence of things not seen. And you know the rest, he's been preaching on it. Well, he rationalized his sin. He reconciled his circumstances. What was his omission? You see, in every situation, there's not only what you did do, there's what you did not do, right? And James tells us that, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Oh, we're big on what we do. Yeah, but he did that. That's sin. I, I, I did this. Okay, God, I sinned. What about what you didn't do? Wait a minute. We don't, we're not aware of that a lot of times, are we? We miss that part. But what did he not do? Well, first of all, be still. 
when faced with a dilemma, when faced with something he, he couldn't understand, rather than trying to figure it out with his own uh, human reasoning and, and logic, he needed to be still. The psalmist said that in Psalm 46.10. Do you know what that word be still in Psalm 46 implies? The uh, Hebrew word, and don't misunderstand, I looked these things up. I don't know Hebrew or Greek. But there are resources out there if you want to know. That word be still carries the idea of get your hands off. Take your hands off. Don't try to figure it out. Accept God's word and take your hands off of it. That's hard to do, isn't it? Anybody have a problem with that besides me? That's hard, isn't it? Even harder depending on what the situation is. He did not, he was not be, he would not be still. He just had to figure it out. What else did he not do? Obedience. What did Samuel tell him when he got there? Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God. Chapter 13, verse 13. You see, the definition of sin, and I didn't look up the reference in the New Testament, sin is the transgression of the law. What did he do? He violated the law. He intruded in the priest's office. And also the law, if he had just gone to God's word, would have convicted him of sin. Because the New Testament, I think it's in Romans, Paul told the Romans, by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know why he tried to rationalize his sin, cover his sin? He didn't go to the law. He didn't read God's law. It would have convicted him. He would have realized he can't rationalize it. He can't explain it away. Another omission, he did not inquire of the Lord. You don't read of him asking God what to do, and we mentioned that previously. So his omission, I'm sure you've heard the little saying like I have, that says, when you don't know what to do, pray. Let me flip that a little bit. When you know what to do, pray. You know why? You might be wrong. You know what Romans 8 says? The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us. See, you only think you know what to do. You could be wrong. You're fallible. When you know what to do, pray. When you don't know what to do, pray. Oswald Chambers, in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, makes this point, quote, There are times in your spiritual life when there is confusion, and the way out of it is not simply to say that you should not be confused, 
It is not a matter of right and wrong, but a matter of God taking you through a way that you temporarily do not understand. And it is only by going through the spiritual confusion that you will come to the understanding of what God wants for you. End quote. God has a purpose for that confusion. Well, lastly, we see God's faithfulness. You say, how's that? Well, let's look at it. You see, God keeps his promises, right? You agree? God keeps his promises. We we love to say, God keeps his promises. He supplies my needs. He gives healing. He gives strength. And he does. Do you know what we don't want to admit? God keeps his promises of judgment and discipline. That's what our world has a problem with. That's what some of our family members have a problem with. They can't accept that God is a God of judgment, that God is a God of discipline. And therefore, he must judge sin. He he promises to judge sin, and he keeps those promises the same as he keeps promises to supply our needs and to care for us and to provide salvation for us. Get that down. God keeps his promises. Therefore, Saul suffered some consequences. First of all, he the loss of the kingdom. Chapter 13, verse 14. Samuel told him very bluntly, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. Oh, that had to hurt. Here Saul had done so well. God had given him all those things and prepared him for it. And now... The kingdom shall not continue. Uh, He also lost closeness. The rest of that verse, the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. What happened to the new heart God gave Saul? He had sinned. Sin destroyed that relationship. Not relationship, but that fellowship. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God's looking for that kind of person, not just for David, but even now. Are we that person? Is he looking? He lost the kingdom, he lost closeness. He lost discernment. We'll not go into all the details, but after all of that, a little bit later, God commanded Saul to go and destroy the Amalekites. What did Saul do? He went and he fought against the Amalekites. You know the story, it's familiar. But he spared King Agag, didn't he? And the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen. You see, one disobedience led to another. It didn't stop with one. It kept going. Loss of discernment. And when, and when Samuel confronted him with that and said, you know, he, he confronted Saul and Saul came out to greet him as if he had done nothing. 
and so adamantly and bluntly and boldly proclaimed, he said, I've kept the will of the Lord. And Samuel immediately said, why do I hear these sheep? Why are these sheep? Wait a minute. So you said you obeyed. He claimed obedience. That's how far he'd gone away from the Lord. He claimed obedience. He disclaimed, again, James 2.10 tells us, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Partial obedience is disobedience. He disclaimed responsibility. He told Samuel, he said, the people, they, they, they kept these oxen, they kept the sheep, they kept the best. It's their fault. Again, he's passing blame, isn't he? He's still doing it. And he denied sin. He said, you know, they kept it to offer sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, the end justifies the means. Not in God's eyes. Obedience is obedience. You know, he said that he blamed it on the people. But the principle is this. Leadership bears responsibility for what they order or permit their followers to do. You think King Saul could have stopped the people from doing that? He had the authority. He had the power. And he didn't do it. And then he blamed the people. He said, I feared the people. Really? I don't think so. What an excuse. Ecclesiastes 8, 4, Solomon said, Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Quickly, what else did he lose? He lost God's favor. Chapter 15, verse 11. Maybe at first hard to understand this, but let's read it. God said to Samuel, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. Whoa. It repenteth God? Well, it's loss of God's favor. God does not change. He cannot repent. He's a holy, perfect God. But he can change how he chooses to respond to an individual or nation's actions. Out through Scripture, you see, God says, if you will obey me, if you will follow me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will judge you. In that sense, God changes the way he responds based on what man says. When you obey him, you get on his favor and on God's favor and he shows his favor toward you. When you disobey, you suffer his consequences, his discipline, his punishment. He lost his convictions. We don't have time to go to it. But later on, he came to the point where God wouldn't talk to him and he actually went to a witch. That was a loss of conviction because Paul, Saul had, had, ridden, had ridden the land of witches. 
That witch was terrified that somebody came to her. And she told him, she said that Saul has, has banned the witches. I can't quote the exact words. And yet he went there. See, he lost his convictions. He no longer thought it wrong to go and inquire of a witch. And then ultimately he lost his life in battle against the Philistines. You know the story. What's the end of this? Are you faced with a dilemma? Are you confused by what God is doing? Are you relying on your own reasoning? Will you be still? Take your hands off of what you're dealing with. Have you inquired of the Lord? Again, Oswald Chambers. Have you been asking God what he is going to do? He will never tell you. God does not tell you what he is going to do. He reveals to you who he is. That's all you need. Why? If you know God is omnipotent, if you know God is omniscient, if you know he is omnipresent, if you know he controls what happens in your life and you know that he loves you, what else do you need? You don't need to know what he's doing. Just know who he is. And give him the glory that he alone deserves.